0: What's going on with dance and stuff? What's happening with dance and things? What's going on? What's happening? What's going on with dance and stuff?
1: I wonder if that's the microphone or that's the microphone.
0: Who knows?
1: Uh, headphones? Um, no, on the iPad that records my talking, there's holes all over the sides of it. And who knows? Are you the microphone? Are you? You're recording okay, on your iPad. Uh huh. But now I figured out where the microphone was by whispering at my iPad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you don't, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know where your microphone is, just whisper around your phone or your iPad, and then eventually you'll get really close to it.
1: And you have to have um, you have to have the voice memo screen going with those red um, life dot things, so that you can see where they spike. You know when they spike.
0: Yep. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you need all of that. I've
1: already had quite a morning. It's 9, um, 9.20. Uh
0: Uh-huh.
1: And, um, I I made, I made coffee with frothy warm milk, and I made a smoothie, but in the process of making the smoothie, which is something I've been making with frequency here, I put in a banana, I put in some blueberries, I put in some almond milk, and then the next step, oh, and I put in a little honey. My next step would be that I put in... A little handful of steel cut oats. Oh right? wow! Because then they get they get ground up and they're a little fiber and that's good for you and and it's nice. They're a little crunchy, a little crunchy. Um, but today I opened the bag and put my hand in the steel cut oat bag and I sprinkled um, a little handful of oats into the um, smoothie and then I realized I would sprinkled a little handful of sushi rice into my smoothie.
0: <laughs> what a morning! <laughs> I was really anticipating it to be far more macabre and that you reached into the steel-cut oats and realized you were just sprinkling ants into your smoothie because ants had gotten into the bag.
1: (laughs) No, no. But I did have a crazy fruit fly infestation last week where I guess the garbage got like too organic and then like a, a batch of fruit flies... Uh, hatched inside of it And then one morning I opened the garbage can It's like It looks like an Oscar The Grouch garbage can
0: mm.
1: And I I opened I opened the garbage can And then I It was like a drawing From Peanuts Where a pig pen Is surrounded by um You know That cloud of filth Because it was a, a cloud of Fruit flies around me
0: <laughs> That sounds Truly Truly hideous And A good way to segue in terms of talking about tragedy and what's gross into the final episode of My Brilliant Friend, which we both watched last night, and I, as soon as, spoiler alerts, so if you haven't read these books, read them so that you can watch the series. Everyone who's heard this podcast Mm -hmm. knows that I am deeply obsessed. As soon as the book went into the fire and it cut to Leinu then dealing with these critics, and this whole thing of wanting to disappear on like wanting to reject one's life and then unrequited love appearing with Nino at the end. I just, it was too much. Like the last five minutes of the finale, I really, really beyond, but it just so, so wise. So well, so well put together in terms of the tragedy.
1: I didn't, I didn't know because I'd already I already knew when I watched it that you had been having a sob fest, right. and I was like, "So I'm watching, oh, and I'm watching, you not read and I'm the watching second it." Book? And I, I, are, I have read oh. the second book, but you know my memory. Oh, right, right. I'm like, I know, I remember the part about the factory very vividly because right. I remember her saying that you know it fucks up your hands, and I was like, "Oh no." Um, and then I do remember vaguely this like she's in she's in. Um, Florence, I guess, for the for the book where is she for that for that book book release thing? I don't know where she is. Maybe
0: she's in Pisa Or Turin.
1: But yeah, I mean, maybe she's already up there. So but at any rate, I I didn't remember exactly what was gonna happen. So I was like, When am I gonna get really upset? And I was like, Okay, so it's all sad, it's always sad. Everything with Leela is devastating, like and her like Her way of dealing with it is so expected that I was like, I just, like, I am sad, but I'm not, like, that sad. And then she threw the book in the fire, and I was like, okay, it's sad. It was, like, amazing penmanship. That's sad. And then um, when that guy was so evil to her, at the book thing, I was like, oh. And then Nino stood up and started talking, and I literally, like, my body changed and i like became like a flood of (laughs) tears and then as the credits started rolling i just was like i too will not stop crying it was insane it was like this crazy visceral reaction to the way in which they handled that scene and like the way the whole show was paced with these like long long lingering shots on people's faces saying nothing and then finally one man does something kind to a woman in the entirety of this whole series and this is a man who has done unkind things but he did one kind thing and it broke my heart
0: it's i love that we both got to really cry about this show i'm really glad that it wasn't just me who cried about it and that you also had the extreme visceral reaction which for me was also this thing around that. Yeah. That thing with tempo where the show felt, it was so slow and, um, Ada's whole story of how she inserts herself into Stefano's life and she's explaining it all to Lenu and you're like, this is long and protracted and she's crazy and this is hard and all of that. And then, and then it's, it literally, it was genius pacing. That book goes in the fire, cut to Lenu now looking, different like even her at her book release she's starting to shatter and change i have chills thinking about it
1: her hair yeah her hair is like not quite as in place and you're like
0: yeah she's starting to come undone and it's and this man who's sitting next to her talking about her book is not talking about it well is talking about it in an He's just being evil. Yeah, and he well, well, he's being kind of well. The guy who stands up is being is super evil, but the guy she has to sit next to for her in discussion of her book and her bringing up
2: yeah, oh, uh, sort
0: guy. of dumb and um, antiquated and dumb in that antique way, and the way that she is says, I don't think that the author should be involved. I mean, her, where (laughs) she's also looking to disappear inside of all of this, and then the look on her face when Nino shows up. And also then knowing if, have you read the other books?
1: No, but now I will, because I have to get ready for the next HBO. You really
0: have to get ready for it. It's, it's this thing of knowing what's going to happen to everyone, too, and watching it that really dials up the tragedy for me. And this idea of the tragedy is set really from the time they're children and that they are put on these tracks that are just gonna happen.
1: They, they can't get off these speeding trains. It's so crazy.
0: Ugh. Well, it,
1: but the way that television show is made is uh, amazing. It's beautiful. All the production designers, it's an amazing show. Yeah. It's an amazing show.
0: It's really, it's really incredible. I, I, I feel I will probably watch this last episode again. It makes me want to go back and watch the first episode of the first season again. I just can't, it's, if you have not read the Neapolitan novels, you're in Quar, read them, and then watch the HBO series. And I've already gone over enough of why I, like I did this, three years ago so I don't need to get back into why I think everyone must read Elena Ferrante but um and the joy of all of the other of all of her other works and of reading Frontumaglia I can't wait to read Frontumaglia again I'm so glad she's involved with the series etc
1: it's good it the whole television series captures the feeling of the books like to a yeah. T um, before we have oh, and, and the, oh, those actresses really grew on me there was a time when I was like I don't know but then sometimes like they, they're in the right wig and you're like yeah and the way that they've started padding Linu you're like yeah I get it like she's she's growing up in like a less elegant way than Leela and Leela is literally like in the trash you know
0: Yeah, but I mean, the meat factory was astonishing.
1: Actually, like thought it was beautiful. I was like, "That seems like a nice place to work." (laughs) It was a little bit more beautiful than I had. That was the one kind of physical space that was more beautiful than I had. True. I mean, I think when I
0: read the books, I pictured it to just be brown brick everywhere and not finished yeah. in any way um mm. but it was still the endless pig corpses was it was still horrific but
1: I mean Jack meat 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 has to get processed and that's what it looks like
0: I know well m- meat is also horrific um, I know I want to before before we get to our guest I do want to talk about that the the Martha Graham, uh, the Martha Graham channel on YouTube did something that I loved, which is they put uh, Haradiada up. Um, and uh, it's a, it is a duet uh, that Martha made in 1944 that I spoke a little bit about. I think, and I spoke about it when I was agreeing with Jack of but um, it's not Appalachian Spring that I, that I go to, it's actually this lesser known. And then it appeared on the same bill. Haradiad came out on the same bill uh, with Appalachian Spring. And it's a duet that really sets up a lot of what's gonna come in the future. It really sets up Cave of the Heart, which is my, one of my favorite pieces. This idea of a woman. In this, it's this woman with her attendant, which later will be Medea and the chorus. and. That and this relationship between women in this altar space. It's based on uh, Marla May's poem, and the music was by Hindemith, but uh, what I love so much about this dance by Martha is it's, it is really getting into the way she'll use mythology and iconography to deal with things that clearly haunt her which is age and the inability to continue on in the same beautiful way she performs the piece she's 50 when she performs it and it is an incredibly you can watch her do it and then you get to and then you can watch other people do it and then they have the full of um doing it
1: well yeah they have the version of Peju and natasha diamond walker doing it
0: um which are completely different bodies. I mean, Martha's body in it is already strained. It's in duress. You can see her resist... Like, just the way her body resists bass from the technique. But also now at the age in which she's dancing it. It's... She just doesn't have the same facility that Peugeot has in inside of this. Yeah. So it creates this it really has this sense of tragedy and trauma and that also it's it's this idea of the mother of Salome. So it also has this sense of this, a woman who at one point was the Salome, was the gorgeous young dancer. And now she's in her chamber assisted by her attendant and is heading towards her own death. It also sets up things for night journey the idea of the shift underneath the dress—that she's going to give an icon to her own death. In this case, it seems like it'll be beheading and *Night Journey*. It's hanging. <clears throat> um, so
1: at the end, when she ra- has- when she wraps herself up, she's not. It's not. She's not killing herself. It's just like a foreshadowing.
0: I mean, it's. It's open for, that's what's, that's what I love about Graham's abstraction when it, when it works is that it, it actually feels that it could be abstracting a narrative or a feeling or, I mean, it really was in these ways that Hannah Smith didn't like working with her because she was very, she would write scripts that were all about emotions and then this thing happens and that and he was, he didn't want that. He wanted something far more along the lines of four temperaments. Yeah. And Me too. A, I, I agree. A... <laughs> I agree with
1: Hindemith. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: And I and I can absolutely see that. But why I love this piece and, and the other and pieces like it to come, and I do really feel the genesis of where this is also starting from is deaths and entrances and, and this idea of working with mythology to work out a uh, large systems of her psyche that are also global and historic. Anyhow, um, the end is her wrapping herself up in black. I think there's many things I take from it. It's the way that uh, her as an aging woman also abstracts the body, decides to take off this dress that she's wrapped around her waist numerous times through the piece to accentuate or have a feeling of being thin and young and pretty. Um and that she ends up in a black bag. You know, this idea of that she goes into a just a shape instead of a, a formed dress. But also she's I think it does there is this foreshadowing that she's headed towards a bad fate because of who her daughter is. Who's who her who's, her daughter, is. who's her daughter?
1: Who's her husband? Brother. How do we? But we don't know that. Her in husband this dance.
0: is Herod. But wait, well, is that but you? But people would have some people would have known. Because is Herod Marleme's poem really abstract? Who is
1: Herodiad? Herodiad? Herodid?
0: <laughs> she. Well, I mean that's the the French. Uh, what Marleme does for the French. He when he Frenches up the name of the character who is the mother of Salome and the wife of Herod and Herod will eventually kill John the Baptist um Herod is married to his sister which is why they have a similar name and her daughter um is Salome this
1: is bible Salome this is bible right
0: yes yes this is bible yeah does Martha believe in bible um yeah well Martha's very you know Martha certainly when she was younger, but I think as she grew up and uh, she believes in all of it. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, she believes she's very pan spiritual, I would say. And I would say there's certainly a religious sense of devotion. I mean, she'll do, you know, her Joan of Arc is Seraphic dialogue.
1: She loved a myth. She loved a myth. Do you think that she saw cats and loved it? Magical Mr. (laughs) Mistopheles?
0: I would love to hear if someone knows if Martha Graham saw cats. I would absolutely um, love to hear about that. You know, she never... It is
1: a magical, mythical adventure.
0: (laughs) That is... That does feel quite abstract.
1: Very. (laughs) Incredibly abstract.
0: (laughs) That does feel quite abstract. I would really love to know if Martha saw Cats and what she thought about it. I'm certain she was was invited to the premiere. She had to have been. She was a celebrity. I, I have a hard time imagining that she didn't go, and I have a really hard time imagining that she went. So my answer is that she did both, which is she went and... Went away while watching the show.
1: I think she arrived with a, like you know chopsticks in her hair and a Halston gown, and she left it in her mission.
0: <laughs> maybe, or maybe she showed up and said hi to everyone, and then said, "I just have to go to the bathroom," yeah. <laughs> and then as and then snuck out the back. You know, yeah. maybe that was a lot of what she was doing at that point. Just being like, "I'm sorry, I'm working on cortege of eagles." <laughs> I. It's a very busy night in the studio for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyhow, ladies and mother, I suggest viewing this work. Uh, it's it's one I I love and um, I think is I prefer to Appalachian Spring or the as. Uh, as has been pointed out by one of our listeners. I too never believe the happy dances by Martha. Mm. I just never believe them. But it is. Whereas once. It
1: has one link to Appalachian Spring, which is that it has uh, a bit of. Um, trim on the dress on the back it has these white lines of sort of lace but like ruffled lace
0: yeah well interestingly i thought you were going to say that there's also jumps that look very much like what the preacher does oh well i mean her she has a choreographic language that it's very clearly hers and you're mm going to continue to see these things the choreographic the language is... I mean, there's parts cons- of it that look like Frontier.
1: Yeah, it's all consistent. The choreographic language is powerfully hers, and and it and it's a through line through all the works.
0: Did you like it?
1: Yeah, but I also the whole time was like, why is she so upset? And, like, why why does her, like, servant have to deal with her powerful feelings, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, because she That's the... M- myth part is that it's she's this princess this queen and she has this attendant who cares about her but at the same time it's there's strife it's a very choir dance it's a very if you're with someone in close quarters and choir uh uh-huh it's it's like we're we're in this room
1: this is our room these are our Uh three pieces of furniture and that's all we have you know and one of us is going to lose our mind and the other one is going to have to clean up the mess
0: There's a stool, an abstracted cross, and a mirror made out of bones. Yeah. So, it's a real, uh... It's your dream, Jack. It's your dream room. (laughs) It (laughs) is. It's true. With my room by Azama Noguchi. Thank you. And my Noguchi bedroom. It's... (laughs) Where do you sleep? Um... Well, I put my head at the bottom of that uh, bone mirror <laughs> and um, I roll up this black fabric and use it as a pillow. <laughs> I mean, the black fabric, too. I mean, I just really was like, wow, the ways that fa- that she brought fabric into dance. Uh, it made me think of I want you to want me. She was and such a fabric that, queen. She really knew how to work fabric. She really was. She, I, you know, I too have taken a large piece of black material into a like, and I want you to want me, and have wrapped it around myself or thrown myself, or, you know, flung myself around, just been a floating head on stage. Thank you, Martha. I
1: know so many iconic um, costumes. She really like revolutionized dance costume and made so many chic incredible costumes
0: yeah what did you think of those costumes well i
1: really like them i'm particularly fond of the attendance costume i think like it's so austere and beautiful yeah um i do like i don't like the color purple but i did like her the martha costume i thought that the like um the mitered Edges of those stripes, which you couldn't see in the old video, but you could see in the new video were really beautiful. Like, I'm sure she was being influenced by Claire McCardle. It was all happening at the same time of these, like, mitered stripes. And um, I mean, I don't I didn't love the the shape of certain parts of that dress, but it was, you know, she did like to hearken back to a period moment, but abstract it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What did you think of the shimmering white? Soul shift.
1: Well, I mean, beautiful. I mean, what you can't go wrong with just a gorgeous white mythological Mm-mm.
0: shift. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> you can't go wrong with a gorgeous white mythological shift, later to and other, And, um... And that's the hot take. That's the tea.
1: And the the, so, the fabric uh, choreography at the end is worth it for the price
0: of admission.
1: You know what I mean? Just go back and watch her wrap up in that thing. Pull it off that Noguchi bone. It's amazing.
0: I did like watching the many... I did like watching the different dancers at different times deal with that moment. And a uh, big shout out, Peju. You nailed it. She like, is flawless.
1: She's able to do things... In a way that's unnervingly amazing, like when she did yes. those those knee spins, I was like, "Huh, <laughs> oh
0: yeah, I by the way, I did think in watching, and I was like, that's why my hips can do that,
1: uh-huh,
0: like my ability to like sit down on my sits bones with my knees crossed is from Graham well, I also think that it's just how your bones are, Jack." <laughs> Speaking of just how your bones are, we have to we have to wrap up because I have to go <laughs> I we need to speak with this dancer. Uh Megan Lacrone is our guest today, ladies and other, and um uh we're so thrilled to have her on. And so we're gonna take a quick break and then um be back with uh someone to talk about where your bones are.
1: Where your bones, and an epic journey through figuring out what your bones are. Have you been joining us for our Tuesday night YouTube lives? We've already had the illustrious Pam Tanowitz and Aaron Markey, and this Tuesday coming up, you're not going to believe it, but we have fashion icon, performer extraordinaire, author Isaac Mizrahi. So come on by YouTube, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and join us for a, well, who knows what's going to happen, but it'll be Jack, it'll be Isaac, and it'll be me. Come on by.
0: I want us to get right in, right into the groove, Other. we are here with the fantastic Megan LeCrone, who I have known for a long time, not as long as Reed and Megan have known each other, for sure. I feel like I met Megan in 2010, and Reed i'm sure knew megan before um yeah
1: we probably met sometime in the early 2000s through Lindsay clark
2: oh that's right
1: yeah i remember a specific dinner at elite cafe with you and ashley and Lindsay, and it was dramatic
2: <laughs> ashley bowder uh-huh <laughs>
0: i love that I love that it was dramatic. I mean,
2: the Elite please. Cafe was was the spot. I mean, that's where yeah, everybody that's hung out.
0: Um, before um, we get into the past, Megan, where are you right now?
2: So I am on an island in the Bahamas called Andros. Um, my best best friend, who's also a soloist with New York City Ballet, Harrison Ball. His family has had this house ever since he was little. Whoa. Di- yeah. His dad lives here part of the year, and then the rest of the year lives in North Carolina. And we actually flew here on my birthday on March 21st, And um, we got to Nassau, and then we got the last flight to this island. And since we've been here, we have been totally just sealed off, no, plane, <laughs> no planes coming in and out, no boats coming in and out. There's a food boat that comes once a week. It's a pretty, like, poor island. It's not a very touristy island. Um, There's not a lot of people, and half of the island is a big national park. So even, like, without the coronavirus, it feels very, you know, everyone's social distances like, just organically because there's just not a lot of people here.
1: Can you leave if you want?
2: Uh, If we want to leave, we can do a private jet. Um, which we look, <laughs> 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 but we don't. We don't want to leave, um, which costs three huh. thousand um, dollars. But I don't even know if the airport here would open would be open and allow it to land. Um, but like Delta is doing flights from NASA to the United States, but um, just it's just getting to NASA. Like you know, I'm sure we could find a way. But
0: but why would you want to leave?
2: Exactly. When you sound
0: like you're in. Uh, you're, I mean, the weather must be incredible. You get to swim in the ocean, you can take a ballet class online, and then
2: we have so hang much space.
0: With your best friend yeah. and have space to rest and relax. It sounds incredibly ideal When Reed was first trying to sell the pandemic to me as vacation. <laughs> um, <laughs> this actually sounds like the only way that that could work for me in my mind would be if I was in a complete remote. Scenario where I had no like literally zero exposure.
2: Well, well, we felt really guilty about coming here But we also thought maybe we would come for a couple weeks that things would just be delayed a little bit in New York, you know Obviously, that's not the case, but we felt really guilty because we were like, you know Should we stay is it totally just white privilege of us to just come here? but you know we thought about our mental health and we were just like we would go crazy. Um,
1: yeah, I went through all the same things when I was figuring out. Oh, Harrison! Harrison we just figuring- caught a fish.
2: Oh. <laughs> he, 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 he goes spearfishing, so he just came in with a giant like snapper. Oh my God! He goes what a fishing. day!
0: it's incredible we're gonna do our, we'll do our own interview with Harrison oh
2: you totally right should yeah. yeah
0: yeah and we'll and we'll hear about his um deep sea Megan, fishing diving is that but, your bathing yes. suit or a sports bra
2: it's a bathing suit but I use it as a sports bra for my insanity beach body workout that's for a very ballet nice class.
1: what um who made that nice top
2: oh I don't know la blanca a- oh, La Blanca. <laughs> well, when I packed, I was like, I, you know, I'm going to pack things that will kind of do double duty. It can be a top, it can be a swimsuit, it can be mm-hmm. a ballet outfit. That's kind of how I am in life. How many life.
0: pieces did you take when you guys left? Did you just take a carry on? Were you like,
2: we normally we would have, but we did bring one like big roller because we brought food and stuff that you
0: shared between the two of you.
2: Yeah, we brought like yoga mats and like an ab roller. Oh, out- do you guys live together outside? in the
1: city? Do you live together in New York?
2: No, we don't. Um, you just coordinated,
1: you coordinated.
2: We coordinated, yeah.
1: Okay, wait, well, okay, so that's who you are now. That's what's going on.
0: That's who you are now. <laughs> 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 just to clarify, read statement. Who you are now is a ballerina <laughs> who lives on an island in the Bahamas. With yeah, another ballerina. Yeah, <laughs> um, You and two ballerinas. It's, it's two ballerinas living in the Bahamas. Are here some parents there?
1: Is that the fish? Wow. Oh. I want to call that a cuttlefish, but I have literally no idea.
2: I think it's a, a rainbow really snapper.
1: Delicious.
2: I, no, his parents are not here, um, it's just the two of us.
1: Wow. Ideal.
0: That ideal. That is even more ideal. I Just know. movie nights and meditation and quietude.
2: Exactly. Wow. That's exactly it.
0: Okay. And it so, seems like you have
1: a good Wi-Fi connection. So praise be.
2: You know, we do. And I've been here. This is my third time here. We, we would come here usually on our layoffs. And Wi-Fi is quite a new addition to the house. So, so we're so
0: we're able we're able to do this. Yeah. Um. Okay. So now let's talk through the histoire.
2: Yeah, l'histoire. La
0: Megan, le Crown. Um. Reed knows it, of course. I I don't know. I mean,
2: I don't know
1: the. I don't know like pre-ballet or like what leads into high school.
0: You know.
2: Yeah. Um. Wow. I'm gonna try to do this fast. I grew up in North Carolina. Um, My dad has always worked in sports, like a sports administrator for colleges. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, She had like a psychology and family life studies degree. She taught sex education. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We had a very... um, yeah, that was interesting, you know, when you get to that age, because she would just explain it very, like, scientifically. <laughs> but, um...
0: When you were, when you were like, 13, when she was like, so here's a handful of content, and I also want to talk about a dental jam.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, but she did explain to us what a diaphragm was. I remember learning about that very young. Incredible. Uh but we, were, we grew up in the South, you know, we were pretty, I would say, socially, like, not too, too liberal, but not so conservative. We were kind of in the middle. Um, and I think, you know, just generally, we were in the middle. But yeah, we were kind of in a, a very Southern conservative community. The arts were really important to my mom, and she knew we weren't gonna get that. Um, so she put us in ballet. We also took paint. And when you say
0: us, just to clarify for people who might not know, you have a sister who also works in ballet.
2: I <laughs> do. And I actually have two sisters. I have an older sister and a younger sister, Emery. Um, who right. Works I know in-
0: Emery because I also know of her choreography.
2: Yes. So uh, my older sister lives in Frankfurt right now. She's married and has two kids. Um, but we were all in ballet growing up. And took painting lessons from our neighbor, did choir, did piano <laughs> lessons. I did the viola. My sister, Alex, did the violin. Uh, you know, it Le was Crown just...
1: The String Quartet.
2: Uh, yes, my mother was always, like, really adamant about being, like, the little women. You know, our household mm. was like that. Um, mm. We couldn't oh, watch TV. Were, no TV. And were the Joe? Uh, God, I forget all of them, but yeah, I think I was. <laughs> okay.
0: well, Joe's the, the spunky one. She's basically Mary Louise Alcott. She's, she's the, lead. the protagonist. Joe's yeah.
2: the yeah. lead. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. I totally was Joe. You know, it's really funny. Yeah. I'm remembering my sister, Alex, and I, because she's a big reader. She's very intellectual, more, more of the academic. She read it a lot. And I do remember us arguing over who was who. Isn't there a Meg? There's a yeah. Meg. Yeah. And I yeah, felt like mag. I wanted to be Meg because I was Meg, you know, my name, but. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know we did fight over. <laughs> we did fight over who was who, but I don't remember like who ended up winning. Um, but yeah, anyways, we um, we were just like, you know, no TV. Like I said, like, it was very Little Women household. Like we could watch an hour of TV a day. Um, we did family if we you know did it. My mom liked to do it with the family. So like at night, like PBS WonderWorks. I grew up on like Shelley Duvall Fairy Tale Theater.
0: Shelley yes. Duvall Fairy Tale Fairy Tale oh. Theater. As people who have heard this podcast before know is
2: so important. so
0: important. And I really, I feel like maybe we should all just be watching that in choir.
2: And Anne of Green, Anna Green Gables. Gables. Of oh, Megan oh, Follows. In unison. <laughs> <laughs> works. I oh, actually really Googled, deep. I actually Googled last night. I was trying to find Anne of Green Gables to watch here. And there's all these new ones, but I, I couldn't yeah. find the, uh, the full lane. The Megan Fall.
1: Fo- the original oh. Megan, follows, Megan Follows. So important. Yeah.
2: So important. Um, Okay,
1: so you're, like, full little women, nerd, PBS house. And then at what point are you and Emery, like, wow, we're really good at ballet?
2: So my parents um, went through a pretty bad divorce uh, when my... We're also... The interesting thing is my sisters and I are really close in age. We're all, like, between two years and 18 months apart. So we're really around the same age. you know, grade all the time. Not all, none of us were in the same grade, but you know, very close. So, when we were at the end of elementary school, my, my parents went through a bad divorce, and um, at that time, we were actually living in the Midwest, which is where my extended family lives. And my mom took us, we never sold our house in North Carolina, so she took us back there, and um, we kind of reintegrated into. our our neighborhood and our schools. And it was weird coming back being like a divorced family in the South, you know? Like it was, I couldn't go to Cotillion anymore. I wasn't allowed like in Girl Scouts. There were all these like weird things and weird reasons of why. And I, as an older person, I'm like, (laughs) I think it's because we just were like that weird family, you know, we just didn't fit in. And so when I started middle school and high school, it was when I started high school, and I was still doing ballet. Um, I was just like, okay, I can't, I just can't like do this. I remember t- trying out for the cheerleading squad, um, and I was young. You know, I was a, a freshman in high school, and I I made the varsity team, which is unusual. You usually, you know, do junior varsity and varsity. And the only reason why I tried out is because I wanted to prove to people that like I could do this life, like I could make it in this very southern, like you know, scholastic, like sports-oriented um, social like network. And like you know, I made the the, the freshman making the varsity team, and everyone was like, "Are you going to take it?" And I was like, "No, I'm going to do ballet." And like they're like, "What? That's like social suicide." <laughs> And I just left like I had got I had gone to North Carolina School of the Arts for summer programs and they wrote me in the fall saying a a space had opened up for me to go for the year round. And the deal was I I couldn't I was accepted into the program, but I couldn't go unless they had a space in the dorms because my mom was a single mom now and working. And so she was like, I can't drive you back and forth. You know, it was 40, 45 minutes away. So she said if they have a space in the dorms you can go. So there wasn't one and then I got a letter you know in in the f- November December of my freshman year saying there was a space in the dorms. So I just left and like went there and I never said goodbye to anybody. Like didn't have a going away <laughs> anything. I just like left. <laughs> and like <laughs> people after the year were like, "Yeah, what happened to you? You were just gone." So I went there and just loved it and just um was having so much more ballet um i was working with melissa hayden who was a former principal dancer with new york city ballet um i was exposed to not only like balancing work but that school is amazing because they have a contemporary dance department they have an acting school a film school a visual arts design and production so you just could see So many different student performances. It's a high school on a college campus. So you're, you know, I was 14 engaging with people who were, like, Well, and you were also going to take
0: classes with some of the college students. I mean, that's how the dance program goes there, which is so unique. So that you're also getting to see people with this facility that's, like, what?
2: Right. And they're taking classes, you know, with the intent of going into the professional world. And so when you're young, you're, like, wow, okay, so this is, like, what this is for, Right. And, um, and I just loved it, and um, I started doing my summer programs from there at the School of American Ballet because I just really liked the movement. I, just, I didn't really know who Balanchine was, I really didn't know anything about New York City Ballet, but I liked the way I felt when I moved because I actually I wasn't really good at ballet. Like I had a Russian teacher also and you know that's very technical and I just like I couldn't really do it my legs didn't go that high but the great (laughs) thing about Balanchine is in the Balanchine you know choreography yes there's a strong foundation but it's sort of like an extension of it you know and so I felt like I can do this kind of ballet you know where we're not holding our legs to our face for like slow millions Mm. of years you know we moved like you could your hips didn't have to be perfectly placed and i liked that and i was like great if i can do this in pointe shoes like i'll do this kind of ballet because what it just were some of the sense.
1: megan what were some of the balancing ballets that that melissa set on you guys while you were at school
2: well the only ones i performed were um, allegro Brillante and divertimento number 15. and we didn't do the whole divert we just did like the variations but no I, that's not true i also performed the um in Agon. We, um, a very talented boy that was in my class and I uh, learned, the, learned the Agon padeda from her and um, she got permission from the Balanchine Trust to take us to this festival in Budapest, Hungary, which is interestingly enough where uh, my mother's ancestors are from. So I went there at like 14 or 15, and we just performed the pas de deux from Agon um, at this ballet. I mean, festival. if that
0: wasn't going to make you completely fall in love with Balanchine, and that that was what you were going to have to do forever. I mean, it was you know?
2: amazing. Didn't and the you stage. also do?
1: Didn't you do Four Temperaments while you were in Oh,
2: that's right. You're right. Wow, well, you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, when I was like Reed's known you longer, and is like right. knows that does you really well. <laughs>
2: I
1: mean, yes, that's <laughs> what I feel. I feel and maybe Serenade as well.
2: Not Serenade. though we did okay. learn we learned a lot in classes. Like we learned Divert, mm-hmm. Stars, Balanchine Swan Lake, um, Allegro, of course we worked on a lot. And four T's, yes. That was m- the final thing I did. We did um four T's, Which was and cool what, because What um, part were you
1: doing in four T's?
2: I learned sanguinic and mm-hmm. one of the melancholic girls and one of the phlegmatic girls and the third theme and I ended up just doing all the shows of the the third theme which then I got to do in the company which was really and as well as agon pas it was all leading up to it was well it was funny when I got here I was how everybody teaches things differently you know I got a kick out of you know just comparing the yeah the way things get passed down
1: I was watching um rubies with from the other night from your live stream with Megan and Gonzalo. And I was watching it with friends from San Francisco ballet, Joe and Lauren, and they, they were just learning it at San Francisco ballet from Elise Bourne, who sadly is now passed, but um, they were like, Oh wow, it's so different. I was like, well, yeah, New York city ballet, they, they have the entire evolution of the ballet, like from when it was made to through all the subsequent casts. So, New York City Ballet has, like, all these different options. Yeah, weirdly. the versions. And the versions that are staged on other companies tend to be, like, more purely the original version.
2: Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, um,
0: so, so you go to SAB. You're in SAB.
2: So I go to SAB the first summer. They asked me to stay for the year, full scholarship. I was so stupid and was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> And I think it was because I just I didn't have anybody helping me. You know, my mom was still kind of um, healing from the divorce. My dad was was had a new family was doing that. I was just kind of on my own, like trying to make these big decisions. And like, I mean, when I got in, I just sent gave my mom the form and was like, can you just sign this? Like, you know, because they paid for me to fly there. They you know, I got a full ride. And I said no, and I made up this excuse, which was kind of true, but I was like, well, the way the, like, academic credits are, like, if I come here, I'm going to have to repeat, like, another year of high school, and we don't have the money for me to go to PCS, and Mm -hmm. for it to, like, work with PPAS, it just would have not, like, it would have been a disaster. I would have been in school forever, which was true. For our listeners,
1: those are both professional professional high high schools for performing performing children children in New York, professional Professional children's school, And and... what's the other one called
2: called Megan PCS Professional Children's School and then uh, PPAS Professional Performing Arts School Arts School yeah Yeah, and one is free I think and one is is a private school but that was also part of it like transferring the credits because in North Carolina at at the School of the Arts we went to school the minimum number of days legally allowed in the country like it just didn't have a strong (laughs) academic program (laughs) (laughs) I went to school, I went to real school, like, for four hours on Monday and Tuesday. I didn't go to school at all on Wednesday. We just had arts. That was it? Arts Wednesday, and Uh. then, and then. I love that you're shocked, because that
1: is literally the schedule at Interlochen.
0: (laughs) But I feel like we were in, but we had class every day.
1: But there was that midday week when we had studio classes, and academic teachers could give optional tests, but there were no classes. So we just had can't none. remember
0: I also also I think it's because when I like I mean Reed and I our last episode was very much a interlocking memory lane and I think it's also just that we all we rehearsed on the weekends as well so, so, so there we, was only yeah. one day off at interlocking which I'm I'm sure is the same as NCsa
2: yeah when I was there we had Sundays off although I really remember. Rehearsing on Sundays. If we, if you were in the performance, um, that was the great thing about it. We got, we got a lot of performing experience. Yeah. Um, so anyway. So I wait. Didn't, so when
0: do you get to SAB?
2: Right. So I didn't go to SAB that summer. I came back the next summer. You know, didn't get asked to stay, and I was like, oh crap! Like, I think I messed <laughs> it up. <laughs> and then went back to NCSA to finish because I, I finished my high school in two and a half years instead of four. So my plan was to finish the academics, just get it out of the way, and then to go back to SAB one more summer and see if, like, they would let me stay for the year, but then I wouldn't have to worry about academics. And they, the summer ended, and I heard nothing, so I went into the meeting. I went in, and I said, you know, I would really like to stay, and they said, oh, finally, or something like that, and I was like, yes, well, I'm done with my academics, and so, like, I don't have any obligations. I can stay, you know. I'd love to. And they said, "Well, you, you you know, you won't get in the company." And I said, "Okay, well, I just think it would be a good place to train for my final senior year." And they're, you know, like, "Well, we'll see about the dorm space and all that." And anyways, I got, I got in, and I got a. Wait, I have a a question.
1: Who is telling you this? Like, who is saying to your face, "Well, you know, you won't get in the company"?
2: Oh, I don't. It's okay. You don't have to. (laughs) You're putting me on the spot. It's okay. okay. <laughs> it was very, it sounds a little harsh. No, they were just being very realistic with me. You know, it was like, you haven't gone to this school, you're 17, right. yeah. you have to understand the facts, you know, which I I respect, you know, that school was set up to feed the New York City Ballet. Like, you know, you train and train and train. And And they kept saying to me, you know, you will have a great career as a dancer. You had Melissa Hayden, you know, you're not in a bad school. But the more I went, I was like, I just really like want to be in New York City Ballet. I don't know why, I just did. And um, I remember Peter taught one of my classes my last summer, and I really didn't know who he was. I mean, I knew he was involved, like the director. I just like really didn't know a lot. <laughs> Work. <laughs> but I loved the energy in the room. It was similar to like Melissa, and I was like, I, whoever this is, like I want to dance for him. Like da da da. So I went, I got, I got there for the fall of 2001. I didn't have any academics. I had my own room, which was amazing. Um, And (laughs) I remember uh, he hadn't taken anybody in the company from workshop at the end of the year. So there were all these, yeah, he had not hired anyone. And um, so all of the people that got the Wien Award and did all the leads in workshop, you know, they came back the school that year. Yeah. Um, like Megan Fairchild, I was accepted into the company with her, um, Ashley Knapp, Savannah Lowry, mm-hmm. all these people. It was a big group. And there was a choreographic institute at the school, which I think is a wonderful thing. This SAB allows students to choreograph on each other. I was involved in that. I was in two pieces. Sarah Mearn's brother actually. Did a nice little pot it de on me and the same boy that I had done Agon with in oh, North wow. Carolina, because he came to the school. Jerome Johnson was his name. Is his name. Um, oh. Yeah. Jerome
1: was Jerome. at that meal at Elite with us.
2: Yes. He and Ashley. The were dramatic really
1: close. meal. The dramatic meal. Because <laughs> <Well, laughs> Megan and Jerome were best friends from NCSA at the time.
0: The dramatic meal at elite.
2: We're- where the elite
0: meet. <laughs> That's
2: right. That's three probably People that can be very dramatic. Yes, That's, I don't remember it, but I'm sure it was. You obviously do. We made an impression. I, there were tears.
1: There were definitely tears, Megan.
0: Oh, really? I while was all the, tears, crying. Were hap- yes, while you the were, tears were happening, while the tears were
1: happening at crying,
0: the Megan. while the tears were happening at the meal, read. Were you like, oh, could I get another cold noodle dish?
1: I was. I was like, just. I was observing because I was so stunned by what I was witnessing.
2: I was it either was pretty... crying because I was injured or because I, like, didn't feel like I was good enough or something. Or I wasn't in the company yet. I don't know. Oh,
1: it, it well, I want to speed up I, I now. Really want, well, I'll tell you later while you're crying, Megan. But
0: oh, you well, you can't say, you can't I, say on the I, yeah. pod? No, Is no, I, it I private? I can't
1: really tell her on the pod.
0: Okay, great. So, speeding <laughs> up into the company, you, you get into the company and you're in the core. And how was that, entering in it? And you enter in at...
2: I was an apprentice. Um, for a year and then I got my Uh my, I entered in the fall that that I started at the school in September and I got my apprenticeship in um, for Nutcracker so in in October so I was there one month month. later later. yeah. Um, and it was hard I do remember crying a lot because everyone was just so good and I felt so behind and I was like why didn't I come here sooner I'm so stupid but I was learning a lot of principal roles as an apprentice and first-year core member. I was understudying Darcy and Alexandra and Janie and um, Wow, wow! And I was like, okay, this is a good sign. And a lot, like, people did not like me. Like, I did not have a lot of friends. I don't think the artistic staff liked me very much. Peter did, Those You are know, all but good he was signs. hard on. He was hard <laughs> on me. But I think he liked me as far as what I was called to. But I was slow. I was just. You know, I'd get lost in my head. I was over-analytical. They'd say something, and I'd be analyzing, like, what does that mean? And they had moved on to teaching, you know, eight counts of choreography. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like... I had not, I wasn't familiar with the rep, <laughs> like, I just was, I cried, I, I cried during class at Plié's, I remember I was standing between Nikolai Hube and Benjamin Milletier, and I was Plié's, and I just was crying, because I was like, I'm not good at this, <laughs> but I love it so much, uh, and it, 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 they both came and they said, Oh. It's just plies. You should save your tears for something else, like when you have a bad show or, you know, when you become a principal and just get a terrible They were like, save it
0: for the fouettes, Megan.
2: I was like, (laughs) I was so on edge. Um, But... And I, you know, I danced a lot, and then I got injured, unfortunately. Yes. And it was just a domino effect. Like, I got injured, and then I got back, and then I was injured again, and then I got back, and then I was injured again, and then I got back, and then I fell off a bicycle and broke my neck. I mean, it was just like, you couldn't write, like...
1: It was pretty wild, that period of years, (sighs) Megan, where it was like... You were sort of... You had a really clear trajectory when you got yep. to New York City Ballet. And then it was just like... What She's the hell? injured again. She's injured again. She's it
0: injured was again. relentless. Relentless. And I would... And weirdly, I mean... I, New York's such a small town. And I would run into you frequently, actually. Yeah. Like, on the street. I would Or on a subway. And it would either be like, I'm excited I'm doing dewdrop," Drop. Or...
2: I'm having I'm, surgery My tomorrow. back
0: is gone, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, it's like my back fell out my butt. Uh, well, what's
1: amazing know. is that like, I feel like those injury times really gave you time to cultivate your curiosity, and so you got to expand beyond what you would have had you just had this really easy, fluid yeah, trajectory for sure. through the company. for sure. And you, wait, one of those times, wait, you went to impulse tons, right?
2: Yes, I'm glad you brought that up because I was doing research before we talked so I could remember you know have my facts straight because i wanted to talk about that with you guys i did yeah um i it got to the point you know for those of you that don't know i I in total i took a seven-year medical leave from the company in my (laughs) 20s which is like the height of your career that is absolutely (laughs) absurd
0: i don't think i've ever heard (laughs) anyone else have that story period
2: and I for, wasn't especially fired.
0: NYCB, <laughs> and that it's you amazing. weren't fired. No,
2: Peter so crazy. was really wonderful. Actually, he was very loyal. But you know, I—he knew I loved it, and I was there every day, even when I was injured. I watched. I, you know, did everything I could. I mean, people would get annoyed. They'd be like, "Why are you still watching rehearsals? You're not going to perform this ballet this season." And I know, and I was like, "I know," but I'm an understudy, and they're like, "But." You're not gonna do it in the next. I three mean, months. seven
1: years wasn't that weird when you'd like come back and there'd be all these new dancers who'd be like,
2: "Who is that?" Yeah, and like I was like, "I don't know." Like, you know, I'm I don't you. know who I am. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm a new yeah <laughs> seriously. But you're right. Like at, at, during one of the injuries, like um, oh, it was I was diagnosed with like a, a disease that affects your nervous system, and um, that actually explained like a lot of why I had these relentless injuries. That do, you mind s- if,
0: do you mind saying what that is?
2: Yes, and I, I have finally taken care of it. It requires surgery, um, which I didn't want to do at the time when I was diagnosed because I had already had, I think, like five surgeries. Um, it's called hyperparathyroidism. It's not life-threatening. It's, it affects your parathyroid, which has nothing to do with your thyroid. Your parathyroid controls how much calcium is in your blood. And if you have too much calcium in your blood and too high of an elevation of your parathyroid hormone, you can have major uh, nervous system symptoms that mimic a lot of neurodegenerative diseases. So at one point, I was seeing a doctor, and we were trying to figure out if I had MS. Right. But thank God, um, it was this. Um, So when um, this, this leads into the story about impulse dance. When I found out that I had it and that I had to have surgery, I wasn't afraid of surgery because I had had, you know, three on my ankles, one on my knee. <laughs> and I was like, I can do that. But I, there was just something in me that was like, no, don't do it. I couldn't explain it. So I listened to it and I thought, okay, well, let me try to kind of like balance my body out over the next like six months to see if I can like manage this now that I know what it is. I changed my diet and it was very strange because it was it became not enjoyable for me to move, which was very scary because on like a neurological level it felt like oh, it was so weird. It felt like when you watch a, a, a VHS and it keeps like skipping. Like it oh. things it just there wasn't like a smoothness, even in like buttoning my shirts, like holding forks. I remember being like, What is like wrong? Like so the only thing that was enjoyable for me was to be like still so i i went to india i did like a whole meditation thing and i started doing some yoga and swimming and then i got back to like a more organic form of movement and i was like okay maybe this is like the only way i can move i'm gonna explore that and so i did um i looked at i forget how i found out about impulse dance i think i know i had worked with a choreographer uh, who had told me about it. So I went there for two summers and just did like every kind of thing I did. And then I could move more. I was doing like Forsyth rep with Elizabeth Corbett. Um, I worked with, oh, let me get my little list. It was really cool. Oh, I found out like who Anna Teresa de Cursemaker was and like Rosas and um, put Stephen Petronio. Like I worked with Ori Floman. Damien Jolais, <laughs> like all these mm-hmm. people that like, you know, were kind of doing good work in the contemporary world. And I like now, you know, you have Anna Teresa doing West Side Story. Like, so it was crazy. Like I, I learned who all these people were that you wouldn't necessarily have exposure to with a schedule that one has at New York City Ballet. <laughs> yeah. And I still loved I really wanted to be a ballerina. You know, I, I didn't want to do this, but I said to myself, the worst thing is if This is the only thing that gives you inspiration and it's gone. Like, then what? You're going to have to find a way to to be inspired by other things in the world and other forms of dance. And so I was happy because I was. I was like, okay. And genuinely was. And I was like, okay, phew, like, you know, if this doesn't work out because of your body or whatever, at least you can appreciate doing this kind of movement watching this kind of stuff because it was starting to become really painful to watch the company or any ballet because I was just like right and then I I don't know what happened I I remember having a meeting with Peter and he was like do you have like a goal of something you want to come back to and I said you know I wish like I could tell you that but for me it's going to stress me out if I'm like, it's this ballet. I think I just need to do each day and not have any pressure. And like, I just know it's going to work out. I can't explain it. I know it will. And he was like, he was very trusting. He was like, you know, a lot of people are, you know, asking me what's up with this girl. She's always injured. You know, what's the deal? And I don't know what to tell them, but I will wait for you. I'll wait for you forever. Obviously, I know that you're going to, you know, put in, the work and the effort and and I did and I think the day I just kind of stopped saying to myself it has to be this day it got easier mm-hmm. it got faster I you know I changed all you know I kind of stopped doing physical therapy I just did I gravitated towards things any kind of movement that made me feel good
0: and had you and, had the surgery by that point
2: no I ended up not having it until last year um, wow yeah Cause I got back, and um, and then when I did, when I got back, I had a few bumps in the road. Like I, I I did got back. I did a season. It was great. I got promoted to soloist, and I finally went on vacation, like a real vacation. And I was dating somebody at the time, and I was like, wow, I can finally go on a vacation and like spend my summer not doing rehab or you know stressing. Like we, we went to the beach with his parents. It's like first time I'm meeting his parents also. And like our first day there, we're riding bicycles on the beach and like my bike went into a ditch and flipped over and I broke, broke my neck.
0: <laughs>
2: that. Yeah. And I had to call the company and say, first of all, we're on an island, like hours from a hospital. So there's that, um, you know, once every week I got to the hospital and we realized there was no going to be no damage to the nervous system. I wasn't paralyzed. It was just like a very clean break in my neck. I didn't need surgery. You know, it was the summertime, though, and I was like, great, like, I'll be back for fall season. And the doctor's like, no, I'm like, girl. <laughs> 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 so I had to call the company and say, like, this phone call and the phone call I made when I had to tell them I couldn't. I was cast for the potada de in Agon with Albert for opening night in London, and I had to call them the day before we left. This was when I was young. To say I couldn't go on the tour because I was having surgery in my foot. That phone call and this phone call I always remember because I spoke to Debbie Peters assistant and I was crying and like I had to call her and say because was like they were so happy I was promoted, I was healthy, and I had to say I broke my neck. And I <laughs> be back. I
1: know.
2: And it was embar At that point it was just embarrassing. I was just like mm. Ugh. You know, and people I think thought, well, she's reckless or what, there's gotta be something. It's her fault. Like, this is something she's doing. And I, the more I believed that why, the more stressed out I got. And finally, of I was course. just like, you know, it's like, I'm not comparing the two, but it, you know, it's like people get p- cancer, and sometimes the way family members deal with it is like, well, there must have been something you did. Like, and right. you just don't, you know, you cannot know. You know, we have, true. you just are you know, at the mercy of, you know, God really, or, or whatever these things that, are, that happen that are unexpected. And yes, I think you can make smart decisions to avoid health issues. But when I look back on all of mine, I was like, I really think I tried and did everything I could to stay healthy. And I just had a bad card, a bad hand like dealt to me, but it's mm-hmm. how you play your hand, you know, <clears throat> how you and play I think your you, hand. You did
1: it this like amazing job of like pers- you kept coming back which is so unusual. I, I was like a cockroach. Well, I mean usually <laughs> when like things like this die. start happening mm-hmm. to people they they'll change the environment completely or they'll give up or and you didn't I remember several years ago coming to the ballet and you were doing agon padada and I don't know if you were doing it with Albert but I just thought I'm so glad that Megan persists because she's so singular in the universe of this ballet company. And to watch you do that pas de deux in the approach that you took to it, I was like, there's no way she would have arrived at all this information without a lot of time to reflect on what dance is about and what it means to you because it was so different than any version of that dance I'd ever seen. And I think it really captured... Probably what the intent of that pas de deux was initially and i'm sure you learned a lot about that from melissa too
0: well and also that the form <clears throat> itself a, a dance is labor yeah and the and ballet is supernatural and in order to accomplish it one has to go through a of all i mean hopefully you get born with some you know good feet and hips and stuff but it's, there is a lot that has to go into it and that you have to continue to sustain. Mm. So that on top of that, just on top of that, that then you were doing this relentless PT. I mean, we all know dancers who've been injured, what it's like to be in PT, the hell of that. And that for you, there was the seven year thing, then you think it's over by going and feeling like you've achieved homeostasis and then breaking your neck. And then how did that lead you to the surgery?
2: So, um, I, let's see, I guess after my neck broke, that was the end of all the stuff, you know, like I recovered from that. I, um, I mean also in there and we don't have to talk about this, but I just think for shock value, my lung collapsed at some point. I was in the hospital with my lung collapsed, (laughs) which is, can happen to people randomly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, after The Broken Neck, I, things just stabilized, you know, I, I just, things stabled out, I was a soloist, I had um, a more difficult schedule in the sense that the roles were harder and, you know, you're featured and there's that pressure, but I didn't have the, like, exhausting schedule of a core member, so that helped. Um, you know, I had made a lot of lifestyle changes just from things I had learned about surrounding myself with toxic or non-toxic people, like where I lived, what I did, just everything. I made a lot of changes. Um, and I took everything out of my life. I, I went through this kind of like checklist of what's important, what's not. And I took everything out that wasn't. And ballet was literally like the thing left. And I was like, I'm just so happy. Like I can just dedicate these the end of my career, whatever happens, happens, but, like, I just don't have to deal with stuff anymore, and it was so, so, so wonderful, um, and I'm really sad that Peter, you know, that all that stuff happened, uh, because I really wanted to retire under him, but we had a really nice, I think, final year, um, and I'm trying to get to your question, which you asked, which I, oh, the surgery, so, um, after, like, I had kind of stabilized personally from all my trauma. And then the company went through its own trauma with dancers having their, you know, problems and Peter. And I think I was able to handle that. That was really hard on me because those were my friends, my dear, dear friends, people I danced with. I always loved working for Peter, you know. So I was I was never on the anti side. Like, I was just very... Because you hadn't been exposed
0: to that side of him.
2: I hadn't, and I also am the type of person that sees, you know, no one's perfect. I I think I had learned through all my stuff, like, it's really hard for me to just take something about someone and use that one thing to define the whole person, you know, and I really, with, with everything, even with the company, you know, I just really saw nothing, like, The good and the bad, but made a decision to say, well, what do you, how do you feel about it as a whole, you know? And so, again, like I was saying, I think it was really, really sad and really hard for me emotionally, all that stuff. And um, I think because I had been through what I had been through, it didn't just kill me and wreck me. My shows, my working, my body, you know, I think we can take things into our body that are emotionally really difficult. Um, So kind of like after I went through my stuff, the company went through its stuff, but I felt like I handled it okay. Um, And then things stabilized. And, you know, we had a new administration and that stabilized. And I I went, I had always been checking in on this disease and I, my rep changed. um, And I, knew, you know, I was going to have to have the surgery eventually. And plus I was getting older and, um, it can be, you can progress as you get older if you don't address it, you know? And so I decided it was a good time to do it because we had a long time off. Um, again, like I said, my rep had sort of changed with the new, um, directors and it didn't seem like it would be something that would take away like time from ballet or time from roles that I wanted to do or time from rehearsals or being in the room with certain people. So I thought, you know, okay, I'm, I'm gonna do this now because if it cuts into like my dancing career, like I will be okay with that right now. Um, as before I wasn't, I wanted to be around that company as much as I could, you know, because I had been gone for so long. Um, And thank God it didn't. You know, it took a summer to recover from. It was pretty easy, and we were off, so.
0: And have you felt the shift from it?
2: I felt so much better, and after I did it, I was like, I wish I would have done this sooner, but I was glad I waited. You know, I felt the – it was kind of like if your brain, um, you know, needs glasses, and, like, (laughs) you put the glasses on, and you're like, oh, my gosh, like – it's so much clearer (laughs) Mm. (laughs) and not just your brain you're thinking but how it controls the rest of your body like I didn't realize how much clarity there could be in the functioning of things and even my thinking my emotions you know until you realize that there can be so I wish I would have done it sooner but I think obviously I didn't do it sooner because I, I just wasn't in the place to
0: Well, it's also one of those things where I feel the grosser, you know, when it comes into these grosser surgeries, uh, meaning more obvious, not gross, like ew, but grosser in, oh, an ankle break, oh, uh, you know, uh this thing needs to be removed, etc. Right. When it gets into the neurological, and I think even kind of pinning down those illnesses can be so complex.
2: Yeah. Because
0: that's where also then people can say, oh, it's autoimmune and just cut all carbs. Right. You know, and it's like... Which um, I did, all
2: that stuff. <laughs>
0: sure, sure, of course, which is all the anti-inflammation right. diet that we'll say. But it's actually, um, no, there might be this literal thing <laughs> that you can do right and that will change the whole thing. And so I'm so glad you did it. And what's it been like dancing post?
2: Oh, the recovery is much easier. It's amazing. Right. Like and I feel younger. You know, I'm I just celebrated my thirty sixth birthday and like we're here in this in this time and it's very much important for me and I think for all dancers are struggling with like how do we stay in shape and and the misery of that when you're not rehearsing and not performing and every day I'm like, wow, I feel like I am this age, but like I physically like don't like I feel good. Um, yeah, I, I can don't remember m- many
0: pain. of the times I met you on the street or on the subway, you were in pain.
2: Yeah, constantly, and there was
0: also this kind of static, even to how we talked, which I'd always equivocated to, "Oh, she's in pain," and pain creates a static in communication. So it's like it sounds in the removal of that,
2: so freeing. It's,
0: so freeing. Ugh, it's so freeing. And that you, you seem all... really
2: good, Megan. Yeah. Thank you. Even in I this phone good. call, I'm like,
1: wow, Megan is having a great time.
2: <laughs> I am, but you know, we are in paradise, but, and this just goes to show you, <laughs> what I talked about, I mean, there isn't a day that goes by that I, and I get tears thinking about it, and I'm like, I just, like, wish I was in the studio right now, and it, because yeah. I love it. I just love it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it is, it's so.
2: And I I remember not, I remember that going away at one point. I remember thinking like every day I want to be in the studio and like this month I don't. Does that mean I lost my love for it? Is it gone? Is it gone? Is it gone? And it wasn't. I was just like you said, like in so much pain. Right. right. So have
0: to have that, To have that now removed and then to be able to come back, but now to not be able to be back and to create that other tension. <laughs> what can I say, but I can't wait to see you next on stage.
1: Yeah. I think it's such an inspiring story for a lot of people who deal with injury and pain. And I'm so yeah. glad that you've really pushed through to like arrive at a better place. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Likewise, Megan, I think also the amount of fatigue it takes to go and see various
2: doctors
0: (sighs) is a whole other psychological nightmare of, because you get, having gone through things that are, for me, that have been autoimmune, and then you get, like, you go to this person and then this person, then it's like, this person says that, and then someone tells you that you might have, you know, like, the worst disease ever. You go and get it checked out, and it's like, no, you don't have that. And which then you feel grateful for, but at the same time frustrated for like the two months you spent crying on the floor thinking
2: you did (laughs) because the
0: doctor told you you did. And
2: the people you've told to like prepare them, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. It's really, (laughs) I I can relate to elements of that story and the uh, amount of psychological preservation it takes. And I think you also brought up a really key thing, which is looking at yourself and what's important to you and what and how to keep the focus on that. And And I
1: hope, I hope you continue defying people's expectations of what a trajectory of a ballerina's career should be, because you've done it in such an unusual way, age wise, and in terms of when you were promoted, et cetera. So I think it doesn't have to be anything and that you've made it so specific to you and so unique, I think opens up possibilities for a lot of other other people. people.
2: Yeah, I, I, I hope, you know, because I also didn't have a model and when I was going through this, you know of, oh, well, someone has done this before and it's possible. No. And, and then when it was over, I really didn't want to talk about it because I didn't want to um, focus on it. I was like, I just want to be a ballerina where everything was fine. I don't want to talk about being injured. I don't want to be, oh, she's the one that was like injured all the time. Right. But I think about it now and I'm like, you know, it is important when, you know, I think about young people or anyone going through stuff where it's like, you can do this. Like, you can. It is possible to recover from things. The body recovers. You know, when you make a... You cut yourself, your body makes a scab. Like, it's always trying to heal you. It's just... It can take different amount of time and just everyone's kind of healing process is different. But for me, just to accept that and stay with it and and to be patient with it and believe that there is like an outcome that you can get to that's better than where you were before. Like, it's so, like, I, I, I sound like one of those, like, you know, just have faith in it all, but like, it's really so possible. Like, it's amazing. The way I feel now, as opposed to before, I'm like, I can't believe like this is possible.
0: Well, I well, think, but there's also a trajectory that happens through that, which you, you know, you mentioned also what it, what it was like to go and sit within, like you talked about yes, the only times I wasn't in pain was in stillness. Just, I think we learned so much from just being still or that you went and explored a meditation practice, right. uh, you know, and, and these various modalities that are absolutely outside of a rehearsal schedule that begins with classes right. that goes mm-hmm. into rehearsals and then performing, Of one thing very specifically that is very physically demanding, Demanding. exhausting. And like any sport can be injurious. Yeah. And so it's how I think part of your story, too, is about the mental preparation that maybe needed to be surrounding more of that. Because I think especially when we start so young, we just throw ourselves in yeah like all like the <laughs> way that I've been injured has been throwing myself in yeah it has been not actually taking a moment with myself first and thinking about myself before not as a performer
2: for sure you've got all
0: this time to spend thinking about yourself as a human being who performs
2: exactly
0: and I think that's key um I have to run because I need to go and teach my kids. But Megan, that's
2: fun. Uh, my
0: kids, my students. Megan, uh, but, that was you know, great. Like
2: thank it. you so oh, much. thank you for joining us from so much fun. You're welcome. Okay, have
1: a great class with Jock, and um we'll see you back in New York one day
0: yes yeah Megan we'll see you when we'll, we'll see you when we see you and in the meantime we'll keep in touch and um, thanks, thanks so much for coming and doing this we love you
2: I love we you love guys you. too have a thank lovely day you.
0: thank you bye, bye.